This presentation was from Yorks Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yorksaustralia.com.au. This is Adrian. Hi. Um, I'm going to talk about this thing called digital value, and I hope if this um, is getting in the way, I'll just drop it down a bit. Uh, but before I begin, uh, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and pay my respects to the elders, both past and present, and to Indigenous people gathered here today. I would also like to share with Indigenous people that um, some of the material I'm going to be sharing is related to the taking of land and to the early period of the colony of New South Wales, as well as um, contemporary Indigenous perspectives. <clears throat> Gordon Siren's painting Invasion 1, uh, an Aboriginal perspective, depicts the arrival from the, of the first fleet from the Aboriginal viewpoint. Right at the moment, the land is about to be taken. Uh, it's a pretty powerful image. Just imagine that moment as seen through the eyes of the uh, Gadigal people. It's, it's a pretty devastating moment to think about. In part, I want to take you back to the time of convict arrival, of invasion, um, as I share with you some of what I've learned while working on a user experience project for Sydney Living Museums. Um, it's the story of the convicts of the colony, but it's also the story of the taking of land from Indigenous people. I'm Adrian Wiggins. I'm Experience Design Director at Pollen Digital. Uh, as you can see, I hope from this image I bring my whole self to work, uh, for better or worse. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it works out. Um, and something to think about too, if we're running out of time, I just want to foreshadow something. If we're running out of time, I think we are running a bit late on time. Um, at the end, you can choose whether you want questions or what I'm going to call conference dance challenge. Right, so uh, just ponder on that. If you do want to ask me a question, perhaps catch me after if we don't get a chance to um, get the questions in at this moment. Um, <clears throat> this is a map of the colony shortly after it was established. Well, actually, I better go back. I forgot, I forgot a bit of script. Um, in 1788, a fleet of 11 British ships carrying convicts, settlers and soldiers sailed into Port Jackson, uh, dropping anchor a bit over a kilometre north of here, now Circular Quay. Uh, this is a map of the colony from that time. Um, and Commanding Officer Governor Phillip, uh, the first impressions he made uh, were recorded in a letter sent to England. He said it's the finest harbour in the world. And I think that's, that's probably a point of view we could probably all agree with, with now. Um, were we to gather here at UX Australia 17... Oh, that's, sorry, that's Governor Phillip. Um, UX Australia 1788. We'll be out here with the shingling party. Um, so this project begins with a building. It's the Hyde Park Barracks uh, Museum, which is one of 12 museums that are the Sydney Living Museums. Uh, you could walk there from here um, and back, probably in the time it would take me to do this talk, so it's quite close by. From 1819, the barracks was the po uh, point of first arrival of the transported convicts into the colony. Uh, it's where the work gangs were domiciled, sleeping in hammocks, which school children can still do today. Um, there's something uh, of a bit of a misconception, too, about um, uh, the, the role of um, the barracks, and it's, it's sort of perceived as being a place of uh, convict punishment, which this image does nothing to dispel. Unfortunately, uh, the children don't get that direct experience. Um, that would be pretty memorable out at the museum. <clears throat> um, the, what we found is that the early story of the colony is actually one of economic productivity and opportunity for the people who are transported here. <clears throat> So this story also begins with this observation from analytics, which is um, this, see, here's, watch this. Oh, yeah. That's, that's why I bothered. It's worth it, right? Anyway. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so A Day in the Life of a Convict is one of the most popular, in fact, it is the most popular page on the Sydney Living Museum site, and as you can see, they've got a reenactment thing going on up there. There's actually a whole long page here. It's, uh, it's really slammed by school students actually working their way through curriculum around the early um, life of the colony. 
So it began with that observation. Um, it also began with a bit of a change in strategic direction around the Hyde Park Barracks, and they're currently closing and rebuilding it and rebooting it. They also have some grant money around its role in the convict history of, of Australia. This is what they sought to do. Uh, our role uh, as, a, as an outside um, supplier and, um, and a, I guess, um, team member is to do the UX design, the visual design, and the HTML for the product. <clears throat> One of the things that also was very much on their mind, and, and why, I, why I started with the material I started with, was they're very concerned, and, and rightly, of course, um, to, to um, focus on the impact on Indigenous people of the role of the convicts. Convict history really hasn't dwelt on that in the past. Not many of us would know that convicts were actually the people who took the land, in, in addition to the soldiers, by building roads and building buildings and building farms. So this is an important point to, um, to talk about when we talk about convicts. Um, some research had been done prior to our involvement by a... Um, a uh, research agency called uh, Morris Hargraves McIntyre, who really specialise in the cultural sector, and um, they've got this thing called culture segments, which is a kind of standard framework that they use. So if you're ever working in cultural sector, you might encounter it. Um, so they've got these different categories here, essence, expression, affirmation. Oh, I won't do it on those. But the thing that came out was really what these people were interested in. So they're interested in finding out about the convict barracks itself, uh, finding out about Sydney's convict story, and aligned with Sydney uh, Living Museum's hopes, uh, also finding out about the indigenous stories um, of the early colony. So I'm going to skip a few steps. You guys can probably fill in the gaps because you're all gun UXs. Uh, one of the most exciting things for us was to encounter um, the material we got to work with. This is actually a photo of the barracks um, at the end of its life uh, from the uh, late 19th century, uh, looking towards uh, some, Mar oh, here we go. some Marys over here and this amazing terrace over here across the park, which is gone. So there's parts of Sydney that have just disappeared. Um, so we encounter these amazing pieces of content, recreations, uh, narratives, histories, objects, images, voices. The voices of convicts are brought back to life by actors. There's the skills, there's the tools, there's the lives, and there's the art. Amazing material to work with. So it's, it's one of the great pleasures, I think, of working with a cultural institution to be able to encounter this material. One of the things they also shared with us was the sort of economic model um, of the convict system, how it shifted and changed over time. So we start here over on the left-hand side in 1788. Can, you, is there, can everyone see through my flag here? I'll just pop it down a bit. Is that working for you all? There we go. Actually, um, <clears throat> who remembers ninjas and pirates? No one. Great, thanks, Ben. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the pirate team. Yeah, okay. Um, so this is the story of the convict um, economic uh, picture, really. In 1788 to 1815, mostly convicts were here to be productive and build stuff. Um, in 1815, 1822, well, we start to punish them a bit more because they're, they're miscreants and they're doing bad stuff. And, and as the philosophy, literally the philosophy of prisons changes in the 19th century of England, we shift from economic opportunity to punishment, which is that whipping thing I showed you first. So this is where we end up. And then prisons today probably are up that end of the spectrum. Prisons aren't perceived to be a place of economic opportunity, right? Well, unless you think about it. It's, anyway, um, <clears throat> I won't go there. So we did some story mapping around that. This is how we're doing our, I guess, card sorts these days. Uh, we're using story mapping uh, to essentially unpack what's in a, what's in a page or a, a branch of the site. Um, so that's a method that we've been using quite a bit at Pollen. And we've also been looking at what we call content object models, which is based in UML, if anyone here is a bit geeky about their data stuff. Um, so we're looking here at the relationship between content objects, looking at multiplicities and relationships. And really what we're thinking about is how we can interweave those things as we start to build out the product. 
And these are some of the ways in which the content's put in. So over here, we've actually got a refurbished piece about the day in the life of a convict. Uh, then we've got one of those economic periods here. Here's the voice of a very prominent um, indigenous um, thinker and leader. And here's that amazing image that I just showed you. So we're trying to find a way to weave all these things together. And this is the product we've um, come up with with Sydney Living Museums. Don't tell them I showed you. Because it hasn't launched yet. I can't show you any more, actually, because it hasn't launched. Um, but it's a, beautiful, a very beautiful and um, involving long-form uh, mixed-media story. It's the kind of content that I love to work with. Uh, so I just should make some acknowledgements, too, of our client. Um, at the Sydney Living Museums, Beth Highs, who is um, the head of curatorial, Fiona Starr and Gary Crockett, who provide us with a lot of the content. In fact, they actually wrote the content, I should say. Um, Jay Smith, developer, and Tim Girling Butcher, head of web and screen. I might just close out this part of um, the thing I want to talk about, which is value. Remember, we are heading there, don't worry. Um, with um, just one of the videos that's in this, um, it's in this site. And I think it talks about, to my mind, uh, I guess puts us in a new way of relating to convicts. Actually, so this is Michael McDaniel. He's such an impressive man. If you ever get a chance to hear this man speak, go and listen to him. He speaks about the impact of all sorts of, I guess, Western approaches to the Indigenous people um, then and now. So I, I'm very, I'm very um, taken with this, this man, the way he speaks. And in Australia, we had the unique situation where the British took a particularly heartless view, a more heartless view than they did in any of their other colonies, by considering that the Indigenous people here had absolutely no rights at all to their lands or waters. No treaties, no negotiation, no parity of esteem, no dignity, nothing like the arrangement in New Zealand or Canada or the United States. And I think To be able to feel comfortable with transferring an entire continent from one people to the next sounds pretty technical, doesn't it? Transferring a continent from one people to the next, all its waters, its resources, its forests, from one people to another. And then to think that that's completely okay, generation after generation after generation. To this day, we still think it's the natural order of things, and it's okay. Um, you have to have dehumanised yourself to have dehumanised others that much. That's the stuff you'll encounter. So to acknowledge Michael McDaniel's remarks, reconciliation is, I think, one of the great um, conversations of our time, and it has been an honour, I can say it with my hand on my heart, to be able to work with this kind of material and at the invitation of Sydney Living Museums. Um, I'd just like to talk a little bit about storytelling. Um, so storytelling for us, um, story, a couple of things we kind of came out of this. Stories need diverse forms to be engaging and relatable. Um, they need to be, as well, providing, I think, a, a, a form of transformation. Uh, complex, faceted stories uh, powerfully invite us to a new understanding. And that's so that there's impact on us. And the impact on us is changing our way of thinking. It's an experience, it's an understanding. That's an impact on us, which is actually a kind of value for us. And value is something that I would like to talk to you about. That's kind of the point of the talk, which is called Digital Value and Cultural Places. 
Um, so actually, I'd probably better narrow this down a bit and say cultural institutions, uh, because that's, that's who I'll be talking about. So one of the first things for us, I guess, to think about is uh, what is um, a cultural institution? Um, and what do they do? This is Sydney Living Museums. They have this amazing suite of properties. This is one of those called Rose Seidler House. You can go here. Um, it's open on weekends. I think there's something lovely happening this week on weekends, so you can go and check that out. This is the State Library's Mitchell Reading Room. It's what we call a third place. It's not home. It's not work. It's somewhere you can go and do work. Here's the MCA, which uh, is just down the road uh, on George Street. So if you're a visitor to town, have a look at the MCA. And inside the MCA, you'll find art. And this is one of my favourite pieces of art, uh, Rebecca Bauman's uh, automated colour field, which is actually a flip dot wall, which just flips through colours. <clears throat> the MCA also runs programs. This is called C3 West. And C3 West is a way for the MCA to be projecting itself out into the western, western parts of Sydney, engaging with community, engaging with business, and engaging those people with artists to create artist interventions and, and community outcomes. This is MCA's Artful program. It's a research program for people living with dementia and their carers. And the program focuses on creating new connections and life-enriching life experiences through creative engagement with creative contemporary art and artists. Think on that for a moment. Think about where we might be heading with aged care. That This is the kind of thing modelled here in the MCA could be rolled out through the cultural institutions more, more broadly in Australia. This is some kids at um, the school holiday program at the MCA, and what they're looking at are some extraordinary creatures called the Jumpy Desert Weaver dolls. And these are woven out in the central desert by these people, the Jumpy Desert Weavers. The Jumpy Desert Weavers are, are in the NPY lands in central, central Australia, and it's actually a social enterprise. And it's a social enterprise supported by the MCA. This is Storm Boy. It's um, one of my favourite movies. Uh, it tells the story of a schoolboy who lives in the Coorong in South Australia. It's also an early story of reconciliation from the 70s. It's a, it's a very tender narrative uh, of the friendship of a child, really in extreme social disadvantage, an Indigenous man played memorably by David Gopalil. So the NFSA has created an online exhibition where you can go and find out about Stormboy. If you like pelicans, this is the site for you. This is James Gulliver Hancock, um, who is uh, probably best known for his book, um, All the Buildings in New York, that I've drawn so far. Um, and he's in residence at the moment out at Rose Seidler House, which I was showing you a moment ago. We went there last weekend. Here's my wife. Here's my little boy, inspired to draw by James. And here's James at work. So you can actually go there and, and, and have this experience. Now, why this is a digital thing, I think, is because, well, he's actually quite well known in digital channels. And what they're doing is putting an artist in residence into a location and starting to publish out the stories that come from that. Also at Sydney Living Museums, we have um, the amazing Justice and Police archives. Has anyone seen or know this story? No? Mystery? Okay, so this is one of the images from the early 20th century uh, mugshots, actually. Um, a hotel cleaner, Harry Leon Crawford, was arrested and charged with his wife's murder in 1920. He was uh, revealed to be, in fact, Eugenia Fellini from New Zealand, a woman and mother who had been passing as a man since 1899. Um, that story created the inspiration and fired the imagination of this person, Pip Smith, who's a Sydney-based novelist, and she's just written a book called Half Wild, which is the story of, um, of Harry Crawford. And what uh, the uh, Sydney Morning Herald has said about this is, rather than categorise Fellini, Smith's novel seeks an empathetic understanding, which is our job as well. So just sort of zooming out for a moment, what cultural institutions do is they have collections, they have people, they have places and buildings, they have services to help you connect with those things, they have interpretation to help you understand those things, they tell stories to help you more understand those things, they also have programs and projects where they're pushing out and channels too where they're documenting out. So all of these things go on in cultural institutions. 
There's another thing we get from this too, which is um, what I think is actually this, happiness. Um, so Patrick McIntyre, who's the CEO of the Sydney um, Theatre Company, has written a Sydney culture essay. The link's there. It's called The Pie Chart of Happiness, and he sort of is trying to figure out a way to frame up the value that culture institutions give us. And he's come up with this amazing model. And here we go. See, we've got here in the middle the personal realm, which is us all here individually today. And on the outer ring, we've got the public realm. And in between is stuff that connects the two. So he's got... Um, Togetherness, happiness, understanding. These are kind of public goods that cultural institutions can give us. We get learning, we get connection, we get stimulation. We get inspiration, we get empathy. So these are the things that cultural institutions can lead us to have. Oh, I'm a bit behind on my clicking. So over here we've got our cultural institution. It's got all that stuff in it. Over here we've got our audiences, and they are very diverse. We've spoken about diverse audiences, so I won't go on, but let me assure you, cultural institution audiences, very diverse. What we want to do is create an exchange of value between the institution and the audience. But it's also a brand experience too because you need to know who you're talking to. You need to understand whether you can trust them or not. But what they give us is a meaningful, connected life. So that's stuff, imagination, inspiration, empathy, amongst the other things that Patrick speaks about. Okay, but what about digital, right? So that's culture institutions. What What does digital do? So we've been looking for some language at Pollen to sort of really frame up how we would speak about digital to actually help us talk to our clients. And it's quite, a, quite a hard to talk in a concrete way about stuff that's everywhere that you all work in every day. So I think you probably will understand the problem. What we've come to is this. People, brands and things connected over the internet for an exchange of value. Uh, and it's probably worth acknowledging too that there are recursive relationships. So there's B2B... And there's P2P, and coming, or if not here already, is thing to thing, right? So they have interfaces for brand and exchange, blockchain for contracts, blockchain's a new thing. Blockchain actually helps facilitate value exchange. And then TCP IP for transport, which is what we've had forever. But this is all, too, in the context of what we call the public realm, which gives us, I guess, a sense of what that value is, it gives us a sense of what we might talk about when we talk about social impact or cultural impact or the value of business. So people, business and things connected over the internet. How am I going for time? Am I good? Uh, yeah. Okay, good. So connectedness and value. I think these two words kind of go together. They go together quite well. And, and to my mind, these are the things I, I want to think about when I talk about value. Uh, but value is a hard thing like digital to, to sort of pin down too. So I've been looking into value models and I've encountered three that I quite like. So over here we've got Patrick McIntyre's pie chart of happiness. Who wouldn't want to think about that for value? And I've been thinking about, well, okay, that kind of gives me a sense of who I am in the, culture, in the kind of greater realm of public realm, but really in relationship to a culture institution. What about just value for me? Just good old-fashioned value, like stuff works or I can pay the bill. So Bain have developed a... It's kind of glitched out there, sorry, it's a really rubbish image. But Bain have developed this pyramid, um, it's a value model, and they published it in HBR last year. Essentially, down the bottom here, we've got stuff which is uh, functional stuff, so, you know, saves time, simplifies, makes money. This is all stuff that's useful, right? This is stuff you do most of the time with your UX work. And then we kind of go up, the kind of, it's like a new Maslow, really, um, until we get to the top and we get to social impact and self-transcendence. I'll leave the bits out in between. It's a pyramid, we head to the top. So we think about, well, okay, well, what about that? Well, then we look at this model, which is the social impact model from the Centre for Social Impact out at the University of New South Wales. Um, and what that talks about is, okay, let's, let's 
try and solve some social issue which we might be able to easily identify. We'll go through a system of thinking and involving our, our partners and finding a money supply to kind of value up the whole thing and we'll hopefully get a social outcome at the end. And then what I like about this is you can loop them all back around and you're coming back around to the public realm again. So how might we be involved? Like, what's the role for us as designers? So we've got over here, cultural institutions, audience over there, brand experience, value exchange. So firstly, there's user experience, right? Because you don't get that stuff without, you know, having done some user experience. Then there's product design. Some of you here might be product designers. We've got service design too. Everyone's cool on that right now. Content strategy, love to think about that stuff. Customer value propositions, they're starting to think about business model sort of things. And then innovation too. Um, at Poland, we, you know, we know that these are very diverse kind of things that people do, but we kind of plonk experience design over the top of that just to kind of capture it all up in one, one bundle. So what about uh, value creation and, and thinking about this in the case of the cultural institutions? So back to cultural institutions for a moment. So the role for designers in cultural institutions, um, over here on the left we've got sort of empowering institutions to make their stuff available and discoverable and accessible. That's a really user experience thing. Then we've got cultural impact program and content, user experience and content strategy again. Then we've got, well, that's on the organisation side, so this is all sort of inside the organisation. Um, then we go outside the organisation and think about shared value, so co-created value across the organisational boundary. And then we're thinking about things like creative reuse, uh, where the organisation makes available some asset that people can use, like you, for, for example, as creators, you could take an asset from an institution and use it, like Pip Smith did. Uh, we can think about social impact programs, so going out into community and solving a problem, but using our cultural capabilities, so that's what, what MCA does with C3 West. And then finally, I think this is one that's most exciting, is thinking about how cultural institutions can become social enterprises, creating happiness outcomes and health outcomes and job outcomes. Not quite there yet, there's a bit more thinking to do. Anyway, that's roughly it. Um, questions or conference dance challenge? Okay, we wish I had that voting thing, right? Can I, have, can I have a show of hands for questions? No one, right? Dance challenge? Great. Very good. Now, this is a very simple dance challenge. <clears throat> um, and I'll just, I've got to get out of this, so I've got to get over to the, the, ac the actual dance challenge. Okay, so the good news is um, there's music. No one wants to dance without music. And there's also instructions, right? So you just follow this and try and do what you see on screen, all right? Are you ready for it? Ben Peckerty, where are you? You're going to be my dance... Are you going to do it there? Okay, right, okay, right. So this is, um, I think... There's a really fun bit coming up. You gotta take clothes off. Just letting you know. This is a really bit. Clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <go. laughs>
You guys. What a, what a fabulous way to finish. Thank you very much for uh, dancing and all that. Before you run out, quickly, quickly. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to share my last give slide while you talk. Quick clap. Because that's important. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Yorks Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yorksaustralia.com.au.